No mai whakarongomai, and welcome to The Policy Fix, a podcast by the Policy Observatory AUT. Ko Kerry Mills aho, and today I'll be talking with Dr. Shiloh Hrote, Nongati Uenuku Kopako, Nongati Pekiao Hoki, and Senior Lecturer in Social Psychology at the University of Auckland. Her work focuses on the lived experience of homeless people in Aotearoa. Tēnā koe, Shiloh. <laughs> Kia ora, Kerry. To start with, could you tell us what the problem is that your research is trying to address? So my research has predominantly been on street homelessness, but homelessness occurs across a spectrum of living situations or housing situations, from anyone who's living, could be in a refuge, to someone who's without shelter on a street, sleeping in a doorway, people who are living in overcrowded housing and unsustainable tenancies, so there's a whole spectrum. I've been doing this research for about 11 years now, so the nature of what I've initially investigated or explored has changed quite a bit. I've always sought to rehumanize the issue, so I'm part of a broader research team that wanted to understand the lived experiences of homelessness from their perspective as part of a co-constructed conversation, because too often we make pronunciations about the poor, uh, too often we make, we speak for homeless people. And it's not to say that through our research we're not still interpreting their voice, but it's to have a more realistic conversation, a more humanistic approach to homelessness and understanding their lives, their levels of engagement with service providers, or it could be understanding what's unique to experiences of homelessness for Māori, because we know they're overrepresented, understanding the perspectives of young people who are experiencing homelessness in terms of not just to kind of sit down and hear about how awful their lives might be, because quite often they're a strong community. They laugh, they love, just like everybody else. But to understand their unique experiences and how we might then intervene if that's necessary. Yeah, could you maybe give an example or explain a bit more about how understanding from their perspectives what it's like sleeping rough helps to get people into better living situations? Raising public awareness is a huge, huge thing. We're at an unprecedented point in New Zealand history. This is the first time any government has has recognised that we have a homelessness issue. Homelessness has been occurring for a long time. I've been, like I said, I've been doing this research for 11 years, and people have been working in this field, and as service providers, as researchers or whatever, have been have known this is an issue in our country for a long, long time. We can trace it back to at least 150 years. In pre-contact, Māori also had practices around banishment. So homelessness isn't exactly new, but we have seen these huge increases through different social austerity measures, welfare reforms, a whole lot of really cruel practices around that, and of course you've got housing unaffordability. You can't resolve a problem if you don't understand it. Mm. When I was going on about how we tend to make all sorts of pronouncements about the poor. There's this assumption, this really top-down approach that we know what the issue is. They just need to pick themselves up by their bootstraps and that's not how it works. It's a lot more complicated than that. We have this real victim-blaming culture when it comes to people experiencing poverty. And people can come from a broad spectrum of living experiences before finding themselves homeless, but the vast majority definitely come from uh, impoverished backgrounds, precarious backgrounds but it can occur across the spectrum. You have quite an interesting methodology. Would you mind explaining it and talking a bit about why you approach your research in this way? So I'm a visual qualitative researcher. Homelessness research in general in New Zealand has been sporadic and, and not, not particularly consistent, but what you do see is there is a tendency to do those sort of surveys and the quantitative measurements. It's about 
getting beyond the numbers, seeing who the people are behind that, humanising the issue of homelessness, because too, again, too often, we have these really harsh, punitive approaches to homelessness and to people in poverty, just look at benefit bashing of solo mothers. So what visual research does is it allows us to render the situation real, because you're seeing it through people's eyes, essentially. So we give cameras in some of our initial research, we give cameras to street homeless people, we've given it to families experiencing homelessness, young people experiencing homelessness, and we just ask them to take images of things that have meaning in their lives. So some of them can be really quite practical. They'll go on with a real plan about what they want to image and show us and you know, what they want us to understand homelessness for them. So it might be images of their sleeping um, arrangements, their sleeping shelters, it could be it could be of them window washing or begging or anything like that, or it could be just images of, of community, of laughing together, or their pets, like some people who have dogs on the street, or family, it was about pictures of showing them together. Mm. And despite everything, it's, it's really beautiful that you see these array of human lives play out, just like ours, just often making the most unhomely places homely through those relationships. So when you give people cameras, are you sort of directly asking them to communicate via that means what their lives are like or, or do you just sort of, as you said, give them the camera and say take photos of what matters to you or what's meaningful to you? I'm like, pretty vague, I got him, but yeah. I just, I prefer a little bit of spontaneity because yeah. I don't want to lead them too much because I'm interested in their stories from their perspectives. So originally it was just a very vague question, just to go out and take images of things that have meaning to you, what homelessness means to you. And then you come back after about a week and you print the photos off and you sit down and you have a conversation and you ask them to tell your story. How did you go about taking these images? What did you want to show me? What's your favorite photo? Is what's that photo? Well, this one really interests me. It's a way to, I mean, researchers in particular in my discipline, psychology, we have such a terrible reputation with communities and some of that is very much well earned, especially with indigenous communities. So it's, it's about reducing that hierarchy between subject and object or the subject object kind of relation about yeah being more human yourself in the room as well understanding your own position so that you can just have a human conversation with someone who maybe is from a very different walk of life from yourself where do the photos go from there do they just work as an aid for a conversation or do they go somewhere else so they're essentially just a tool for engagement but we do use them in terms of lobbying for change so many public talks I've given, I always use some of those photos and you have to ethically consent people into your research, of course. So I use them for, to lobby for change. It's really important teaching tool as well in order to help students understand the lived realities of homelessness and to maybe get past some of their own sort of assumptions and prejudices they might have of homeless people because they're going to be the next generation out there potentially working with them. So mostly it's a, it's a tool for lobbying for change. And do you find from doing these conversations with people that there are quite different experiences of homelessness if you're a Māori or if you're Pākehā or if you're Pacifica? Yes and no. I mean there's a particular, there's a cultural patterning around homelessness but yes definitely. But the differences I suppose lie in the historical causes so you can't talk about homelessness without acknowledging that colonisation has a direct, had a direct bearing on our over-representation. Māori have experienced homelessness, not just at the personal, but at the whānau, the hapu, the iwi, the national level. So homelessness is inscribed in our whakapapa, you could almost say. So there's differences in that, in that 
colonization was the deliberate mass impoverishment of indigenous communities by through that brutal extraction of resources. So it's no surprise. And that continuous undermining of our sovereignty or our rights to self-determination that have occurred successively since then. So it's no surprise we're overrepresented and it's infuriating that we still are not listened to in terms of responses. I was having a conversation with Tracy McIntosh about this last week. Yep, well, exactly, mass incarceration. It serves as a revolving door for homelessness as well. And of course that fragments generations because it's not just one person, it tends to occur over generations for us as well. State care removal is a horrific, horrific common occurrence amongst homeless people. And again, it fragments those communities, those abilities. So some service providers we've talked to, some young people will go through about 20 something different foster homes. There's that constant change over, over a two year period. How are you gonna develop the skills you need? How are you gonna build the community supports to help you? I mean, I remember when I first moved out of home, you know, I went with friends, a lot of us, or you got family who help you, or maybe a lot of young people now are having to stay at home much longer if you don't have that. And of course, we used to release young people from state care at 17. It's just ludicrous. You can't even get a tenancy, you can't get any financial support, you can't take out a loan, you can't do anything. But that's changed? Uh, in individual cases, so they've, I think they've lifted the age to 18. And in some cases, the, there'll be ongoing support up to 21. But that's still fairly young, and if a life of disruption. And of course, there's always these calls to remove children but where do we remove them to? And often that abuse, that neglect continues. You mentioned lobbying before. When you're lobbying, what are you lobbying for? What things do you think need to change? It depends at what, evil, what level I'm operating at. So for about five, six years, I was the co-chair of the Māori Caucus for the Tangata Whenua Caucus for the New Zealand Coalition Teen Homelessness. So part of our co-papa was around lobbying for policy change at different levels, best practice, uh, becoming an information hub for different organisations or, or people who are interested in homelessness. So lobbying to resolve homelessness, that it occurs at, at multiple levels and not just that top-down approach, because you can design all the programmes in the world you want, but if it's not going to work for people on the ground, including people on the ground who need to deliver those programmes, then so what I don't do know you if I can swear, then it'd be just useless, <laughs> let's say. <laughs> this is a big question, but what do you think needs to change based on the research that you're doing? What do you think that we're kind of missing out on, you know, as a country making policy? There's a, there's a tendency at all levels, not just governmental levels, because they don't exist outside of us, of course. So they draw on... Um, the shared narrative we have of homelessness, the shared story we have of homelessness, I guess, and that the most common thing people ask or might say to me if I ask them, well, what's homelessness to you? Well, how do you think people become homeless? It's often around, it's personal choice is my most, my pet peeve is that everybody says uh, homelessness is a personal choice. Um, if I lost my job today, tomorrow, whenever, if I lost my job, I've got options. So for people who are experiencing homelessness, those options are far more constrained, far more restrained, far more limited. We might never, if I was to be perfectly honest, we mm. might never resolve homelessness. But that doesn't mean we should work, shouldn't work towards it, that we shouldn't care. So there's a, if there's a tendency to believe that homelessness is personal choice, then people are less likely to want to help people who are experiencing homelessness. So the big, big thing there is around trying to raise social awareness. 
I think the issue is when you when you kind of go under the radar or you're not informing your communities, your public enough people, they have this really narrow vision of what it means to be homeless. And we start to think of it like, like graffiti. We kind of have the same reaction to graffiti as we do street homelessness. You know, it's a mess, it's, it's not people, it's a mess, it's something to be eradicated and tidied. And we need policy to just to eliminate and eradicate. And we use language like that around homelessness. So understanding that homeless people are a community, they're a part of our community, is a huge part. And that might sound wishy-washy, but everybody wants to live dignified lives in whatever way that works. Do you think we are taking the right approach to homelessness? Are we going in the right direction? So what we are seeing you could say there's a more human face on our current coalition government. So there is an interest. You're seeing resourcing, you're seeing a commitment. It's just the focus, my, I think my concern and a lot of people's concern who have been in this area is the focus is really narrow. So we're talking about homelessness as just a housing issue. It's a lack of housing, it's a lack of shelter. Homelessness, home has carries all sorts of different meanings aside from shelter. There's the emotive, there's about there's a search for dignity, safety, ability to be somewhere where you can develop relationships or, or live your life in private or, or connect with other people. So it's very different from just the provision of shelter. Most people, homeless people at some point in their lives have been housed. It's that four walls hasn't always been an experience of safety and dignity. And because it's tied in with the, the housing affordability crisis, um, because it's tied in with that, a lot of our our responses are geared towards provision of shelter. So essentially that's the ambulance at the bottom of the hill. You'll have some individual successes, but it's, or maybe it's like having a bucket at the bottom of a tap and you just leave the tap on. So eventually you're gonna have some individual successes, but that tap will, that bucket will overflow and it will fill because you're not dealing with the structural causes of homelessness. You're not dealing with, you're not stemming the flow, you're not turning up the tap, you're not, you're just catching people at a certain stage. So these structural problems you mentioned before that being in the SIFS system was one of the key things which possibly creates a social isolation or is at least related to it. What are some of the other structural issues that we should be focusing on beyond housing? Well homelessness is not just a neutral category, it is one that's intimately interwoven with other experiences of living life on the margins. So colonisation is another structural one, and colonisation not as an event that occurred in the past. Always offensive when you tell that to Indigenous people, but one, and I missed the memo. If it ended in the past, can somebody send me the memo? Uh, so colonisation is an ongoing process that, I mean, neoliberalism is just colonisation by another name, or a continuation of it. Poverty. So this is always really confuses me that we don't link homelessness to poverty. It's always linked to housing. Poverty. So we talk about income, when we talk about poverty in New Zealand, we talk about income distribution more often than not, but it's about social exclusion, marginalization, it's about class, but we don't talk about class. So that's another structural restraint, things like that. So if there was a better redistribution system, better tax system, you think that would be one of the ways that we could turn off the tap at the source? It's an important aspect. So housing is still critical, even though it's, it might be the ambulance at the bottom of the hill, it's still critical. Things like uh, yeah, raising the minimum wage, we need, to, we need to regulate the rental market, regulate property, uh, look at some of our, or our lack of community supports around mental health support, 
uh, look at welfare sanctions, look at... So there are some key reviews happening, but we need to see some massive changes if we want to reduce it. Yeah, definitely need an overhaul of the state care system. Definitely need an overhaul of the welfare system. How do we deal with colonisation? So if you think about Te Puea Marae, that's probably the most prolific one that's occurred recently, right, in terms of the way in which they enacted a Māori model of care. And it was for all people experiencing, who fit a particular criteria, so it was around families and it was around making sure it was people who weren't living in particularly precarious situations that would put other people at risk. So that's a, an incredibly powerful approach to supporting people in need from a, a Māori framework, a Māori perspective. And it was another powerful tool for capturing public attention. It was hard not to admire the work that was happening there, and it provided a real huge shameful contrast in, in comparison to how our government at the time was reacting. So that's an example. Those core values that underlie te ao Māori or the Māori world could be that paradigm shift that's so, so needed in our service provision and our governmental responses at, at every damn level. Um, this is a question I ask in every interview, and it may seem obvious here, but why should the public take more notice of homelessness? It should be obvious, but it's often not. So people tend to, because we have that that understanding of homelessness as an individual choice, as an individual lifestyle. We're so far removed from understanding them as part of our community. But the further away you are, the more you see them as less than, as less than human, as just a mess that is polluting your, your field of vision, the less you'll be willing to help them. And quite frankly, we all know this, the, the greater the inequities in, within our communities, within, within our society, it impacts everybody. I mean, at one level we should care because these are human beings, but if you want to be selfish, then the, then the cost to society is also pretty compelling. But at the end of the day, these are people. These people are a part of our community and we're a part of them. So we have a moral imperative from that perspective which I prefer to a cost-benefit analysis. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tēnā koe, ngā mihi nui. <laughs> Kia ora.